Blog Talk Radio. Playing Sports City Chefs from Amazon Music. Unique designs and high quality clothing for the great fans of the Philadelphia area. With their original designs for all, there's no doubt that they'll stand out in the crowd. Act now and listeners can use the promo code CHEFS for 15% off any apparel when you shop online at phiapparel.co. That's phiapparel.co. Remember to use the promo code CHEFS for 15% off. Act now while supplies last. Yeah, I know the villain, a.k.a. Barry, would love to be tattooed in Philadelphia right now because of everything that's going on in the city of Philly. The only thing that they have at this point in time is hopefully the Phillies could turn things around. I will get into the NL East as best as I possibly can. Y'all just sit tight because this is going to be one electric couple of minutes that go by in your life. Y'all could have been anywhere else in this world, but y'all are now here with the chefs calling in by way of the Midwest region of the United States. We got Mr. Harvey in the building. Michael, welcome to the brunch. How are you feeling this morning? Man, I'm always feeling good and better than I deserve when I get to chop it up and uh, and cook up with you, my brother. So thanks for having me. Good morning, sir. I really, and I mean I really, hope you really are feeling really good because if you're really feeling really good, well, you better kick off your shoes and relax your feet because it's going to get bad talking about the LAB, and I'm just kicking it. I'm not playing around. It is about to go down, and it ain't just meant, it's not meant for you, but it's meant for that, you know, the, uh, I want to say like the bandwagoners. But it ain't even going to be that brutal of me going at them. 
It's just a scenario that's going on. But we'll get there. I feel like I'm I'm letting you smell the pot. I feel like I just let the lid off a pot and just let you smell what timeless is cooking because it, boy, it's it's smelling good. I feel like I got some good bouillon in that pot. I got a good one of my favorite seasons. I got some old bay. I got some old bay in that pot, boy. I got some old bay in there. So it, in there? Oh, you you know me. You know me. I got them packets going crazy. It, it, it's got it. I, I, listen, you can't give them. Those are those are secret spices. You can't do that. Don't do that no more. Leave that alone. You got to leave that out. That's a secret spice. That's a secret spice. Okay, Sports City. So um, I got to try and, like, do this as cool as I can. One, I'm going to start with, like, the appetizer. I don't even feel like this is the appetizer because it's, like, really heartbreaking to me. And I had something to do with it. Or not even, like, I had something to do with the sporting event. But... I'm, I'm like, I was involved. Let me say it like that. Last night in the middle of Las Vegas, there was a boxing match between the undisputed champion of the lightweight division, Devin Haney, going up against challenger Vasily Lomachenko. And um, it was an interesting line for both Haney and Lomachenko. Haney was favored like negative 220 and Lomachenko was the underdog by plus 210. So it's like the, a lot of people would go with Lomachenko because Lomachenko is a good boxer, but Haney is the favorite and he's the champion. Um, however, it was a very interesting fight because uh, the way that they started, and this is one thing that hurts Lomachenko is that he has slow starts and it wasn't like he started slow. just like he more or less had a good feel out situation of, trying to fill out Haney, but he didn't let that go on for too long. Like, I, th- I think he let the first and second round go by to fill it out. After that, he was on his job and uh, did what he needed to do to be effective in, like, trying to steal rounds. And um, across the board, well, at least from the person that was scoring the fight, which was Max Letterman, Max had Vasily winning the fight, and especially in the, the last five rounds. Four of those rounds, Lomachenko was clearly winning those rounds and then it came down to the judges, and this is what's hurting boxing and sometimes UFC. But any type of fighting situation where it's coming down to the judges at the end of the fight, it's like everybody holds their breath because you don't know what the heck is going on. They may say the names of the judges. You don't remember them after the fight. You're not chasing them or see where they're seated. They're walking out amongst thousands of people, and they never get addressed. One of the judges had it. 16 to 116 to 112. The other judges had it 115 to 113, all in favor of Devin Haney. And um, the way that Max had the fight scored, he had Vasily winning 115, 113, which those numbers sound kind of feasible, even if Haney won 115, 113. The 116, 112, it feels like they did something. And it feels like they there was no way that Lomachenko was going to win that fight, um, no matter what he did in that ring. And he, I, I feel like he did enough to at least win rounds. The one thing that Haney kept doing was, like, doing a lot of body work. And um, after a while, Lomachenko was, like, immune to him throwing those body shots, and he was taking his shots and actually delivering some devastating blows. He had him weary a couple of times in this fight, and um, it's upsetting how this scoring went down. And you could tell the way that Haney wasn't really accepting of the win. It was just like he was doing his best to be like, I won. But he knew everybody in the building. And let alone, it was in Las Vegas, and he's representing Las Vegas. Nobody felt him. 
and uh, they went to Lomachenko. And Lomachenko, I was, I, I'm a fan of you because you're a boxer, but I never was like one of those, you know, broadcasters about Lomachenko. I just know that he could fight well. At the end of the fight, knowing how the judges did that to him, he said, I'm not going to say anything about them. Y'all know what happened here. And um, every answer that he gave, complete. I don't even like to, like, boast this. But 100% professional. Lomachenko, I'm a fan. No matter how your career goes, you may be 35 years old and aging in the boxing world, but you still move crisp enough. You still the matrix to me. And um, once he got to the locker room, it was sad to see. Uh, they showed it. And he was crying really, like, horribly. Like, and I felt bad because you could tell he put his all into this fight. And um, I don't even know if it's like the world gives him a rematch because Haney's like, he's going back to the drawing board. He don't know who he want to fight. He's trying to call out Tank. But I feel like Tank has a lot in his tank to uh, take care of Haney because uh, he's way more powerful than Lomachenko. And Lomachenko was landing some shots that had, had him weary. It's like if Tank were to land those, uh, Devin Haney would be in trouble. But nevertheless, Haney pulls this fight out. But I think the the world, even if Haney, the only person that felt the way was probably this corner, which was uh, Yoel uh, Judah and his father, uh, Mr. Haney as well, uh, that believed that he won the fight. But nobody in the building believed that. Um, Mike, from what you've heard, seen, or, or your thoughts on this fight, uh, Vasily Lomachenko going up against Devin Haney and coming up short, uh, your thoughts on uh, what went down? So I'm with you. I kind of thought the 116 to 112 was kind of sus, as the kids say these days, uh, on the scorecards. And I was actually surprised that it was unanimous. I kind of expected 115-113 split, um, to be honest with you. You know, the one thing I will say is, you know, some people will say when you are the champion, you really have to decisively beat the champion. Um, it makes you wonder if, even though it's not really supposed to matter, but it makes you wonder if one of them was, was the undisputed, if the other one was the undisputed champion, does the card turn out differently? I don't know. I thought this was, uh, I was looking forward to this fight for a while. Uh, I thought this was a legit good fight. I thought Lomo really showed up and fought well. Um, and I thought he really closed strong. And Haney even said it in the aftermath of the fight. He was like, He's a fighter, yo, and he really brought it even, especially in the championship rounds. So to see him give uh, to see him give props to to his opponent is big time. I don't know. I, I would, and I know they won't do it, but as close as this one was, uh, I would almost like to see them run this back. Uh, but that being said, you had you had Shakur Stevenson in the ring after the fight. Maybe he's trying to. Uh, you know, get in on some of this uh, and, and maybe try to fight Haney or Lomo next or whatever. I mean, we'll see, you know, how that turns out. But uh, listen, a good fight, uh, 12 full rounds, little suspect on the card. But uh, to me, uh, the fans won with a good fight. But I, I honestly would not have been shocked to – if if Lomo had won the fight, and I agree with you, as, as much as I like and respect Devin Haney, I, I'm not sure that he legit won this fight. That's a very interesting situation. I don't know if they run this situation back, but it'll be tough to see if it does go down like that. I'm I'm not thinking that it was. The way that 
he answered and responded. I don't I don't think that's something to get into. But do you do you think how do you feel it, it would go with Tank or uh, or Haney if they were to set this up? Because I feel like he wants more money out of this. Because I think he's going to run from Lomachenko. I think that. Uh, to, to me, I, I was curious to see how Devin Haney accounted himself against Lomachenko, right? Like, because my thoughts were, that's going to tell me what I need to know about how he's going to match up with Tank. And I think at times he could outbox him and he may outpoint him at different times, but Tank just has a different level of power, uh, to your point. And, like, listen, that's listen, Tank has the type of power that can stop any man, I feel like, at his weight class. And uh, Haney would have to come in with a with a serious game plan, would have to really stick to it, and would have to be real, real elusive, and really try to, you know, scientifically pick him apart. And, like, you know, he, he would have to out-science him, you know what I mean? But uh, Tank's just so strong and brings so much to the table. Um, listen, you can't you ain't going to be able to eat some of those shots from Tank that you ate last night. Um, if if those two were lining up across the ring from each other in the next few months, uh, I would be hard-pressed not to put money on Tank. I just – that's a different level of power, yo. We will see. The one thing that I was worried about last night with this fight, though, was uh, Lomachenko. This is what I thought. I'm going to tell you, and this is personal – um, I really was like, well, so Lomachenko's record is like, see, at the time, he was 17-2. and two. I'm like, he can't lose a third fight in his career at this point in time where he is. He has to, like, try to, like, win out to keep the, you know, the people, the fans engaged, and he has to get a belt and have people chase him, so on and so forth, just because of how old he is, so on and so forth. And the way that he answered, he basically said he got to go back to Ukraine to fight the war in Ukraine. Like, so the riveting what he was able to do, but I just want to see him be able to catch a fight like of a big name stature because of what he did do in that fight. And a lot of people across the board feel like he won. There was nobody in there. Even if people were pulling for Haney, there's nobody that convincingly could sit up there and say, Haney won that fight. I, I don't think so. He didn't do enough other than just hitting what he was connected on was body shots. He was beating them to his body, which you got to give him credit for. And he's scoring, but I don't feel like it was enough, especially when uh, Lomachenko was, like, ready for it and could take his body punches after a while. He started losing gas. Uh, and he started losing gas in that fight. And uh, I definitely give Lomachenko a ton of credit for what he was able to do. Um, and he landed more punches. Right along. Oh. And, well, he – yes, he did because he threw more, but his percentage was lower because of how it, it fared out, how he threw more punches but landed – you know, there's like a difference in it. You know, he, I think it was like 500 punches that he threw and he landed like so many, which had it at 22%. Like I remember seeing the numbers in Devin Haney, uh, his percentage was at like 27% of the punches that he threw. So I, that, I guess that's a factor also that the judges are looking at. So it, it, I just want to know what the judges are scoring these rounds off of to, to clearly go off of how they do it. Cause I, I feel like there was no, like cohesiveness like i feel like this was just like we coming we coming up with a score we're running out of the building and that's that and they gave the score and just and just left the arena as best as they possibly could okay so i'm gonna get away from that i i hope i hope and pray that this don't be the end of lomachenko's run i hope he gets a good fight quality fight and just like you said i hope they're able to run it back and um 
if he could really, but it'll be a situation where he's going to end up taking all the belts from him, uh, especially with a chip on the shoulder, and especially the way that the fight built off of it, because at the weigh-in, uh, Haney shoved the crap. I mean, he literally shoved the crap out of Lomachenko too, and um, that that drew the that drew the line, and um, I, I think it's all there. Um, let me get into it best as I can. Um, and I normally give you guys the uh the rundown and the standings of teams that are going on in the MLB at this point in time. Boy, it is very intriguing across the board. Some of these teams are waking up from where they are, but we will get into this as best as we possibly can. Um, I don't even know what division to start with because uh, <laughs> the way that um, some of these situations are going, especially the ones that I'm looking at closely, it's like, uh, what, what, what are we going to see? And I, I do want to kind of uh, get into where my boys are at at this point in time with all of the injuries and things that they are facing. But I will start with the NOS as I usually do because the deficit is actually interesting here. The Dodgers are leading 29, uh, leading the division, the record is 29 and 18. The Arizona Diamondbacks are second with a 26 and 20 record, they're two and a half back. The San Francisco Giants are waking up. 21 to 24, they are seven games back. Interesting enough, the San Diego Padres follow this. They are now 20 and 26, eight and a half back, and like I said, they got Tatis back, Tatis Jr. back, excuse me, and they are under 500 by uh, an interesting margin. I don't want to say decent, but for them to be six games under is concerning to me at this point in time. They are eight and a half back. And the Colorado Rockies are sitting at 19 and 27. They are nine and a half back, rounding at the bottom of the NL West. Uh, Mike, your thoughts on the NL West with the races that are going down and the teams that have been mentioned. I would have never believed that the Padres would be closer to the Rockies, only a game off the pace from the Rockies at this point, than to the top of that division. To me, the pitching depth is a concern uh, with the Padres. We'll see if they can get people back right. Uh, Giants are just kind of interesting because you don't know what you get. you got platoons. you got all kinds of things going on there. Not real sure. Diamondbacks are a fun young team. And right now, listen, I keep saying you got to get the Dodgers when you can get them, but uh, it's, it's not easy. You know, the Dodgers are, are bouncing back and playing some decent ball. But another injury to their pitching staff, Dustin May goes out this week, and now Julio uh, Urias is on the 15-day DL. Now, they said they think he'll be back as soon as he's eligible to get back. But injuries to that Dodgers starting rotation, and they don't have a lot of organizational depth. Uh, to fill those spots, so they may be in the same situation as a as another team we're going to talk about later on today, uh, but without as much depth there. So, um, watching the back of the Dodgers rotation with with now May and and Julio uh, Urias being out for a little while, that's something to to keep an eye out for. But uh, at least they're you know they're at least trying to trying to bandage those wounds or whatever, uh, doctor those wounds from the top of the division. So we'll see. Uh, San Diego is still one of those teams that I feel like if they can pitch enough, they could still get on a run and reel off like 9 out of 10, 10 out of 12 or something and get back in this. But uh, like, I, I don't think the Diamondbacks are going away. I, I think they're going to at least uh, be competitive and make it interesting. The Rockies won a few games this week, but 
still not, uh, you know, the, the Rockies are not going to be heard from in there. Yeah, I'm not making a big deal about the Rockies. I'm just mentioning them, like, in a division situation. Um, the one thing about the Padres that I question what you say, um, I don't know if they're going to be able to pull off a string of 9 or 12 games. I feel like they're going to have to fight tooth and nail because nobody wants to take them, like, I want to say more or less, I want to give them the credit that they deserve. They're making them go out there and have to earn that. And everybody knows how strong the offense is, but can their pitching hold up? And for them to be six games back, I, it's going to be tough for me to see them claw out of there. They might be sitting right there at third. Uh, uh, I don't, I don't. Well, I think they could catch the Giants. I think the Giants are, are catchable. But um, outside of the way that the Diamondbacks are running, I don't feel like this is a fluke. I don't feel like they just fall out of the sky out of nowhere. I feel like they are going to keep the heat on the Dodgers as best as possible. Once the Dodgers get fully healthy and know where they are, um, it's going to be very interesting to see who catches the top of this division. But um, definitely with the best that have been here and with. Go ahead. Now nah, they also missing Manny Machado too, so I'm not sure what the injury. I haven't looked up to see what the that situation is, but uh, missing Manny Machado in that lineup hurts the Dodgers. I mean, hurts the Padres. And and this is the thing about it though is like, is he really that big of a deficit for what they're able to do offensively? Because they they still have bats there, they still have Soto, they still have Tati Jr., they still have guys that can make things happen. Um, I mean, he, he is another bat. He is going to possibly bring RBIs to the table too, but they, this is a deficit. Like, they're down six to 500, you know, not even just to get back into the thing and be second or first. Like, I, it, I, it's going to be tough. They got a long road ahead of them, but um, they do have the power to get it done. But uh, I feel like a lot of teams, are they know who the Padres are. They're, they're the talk of the league, and let alone with a bullseye on their back from what Tatis got caught up in and just recent history, too. So this this is a wait-and-see how this does pan out, but uh, it, it's not a comfortable situation for the party, to say the least. Okay, the National League Central, guess what, people? The Pittsburgh Pirates are sitting atop the division. I, I guess the tiebreaker goes to them at this point in time because they have the same record as the Milwaukee Brewers. They caught the Brewers. They both are 24 and 21. The Brewers are second with the same record. The Chicago Cubs are 20 and 25, four games back, and the St. Louis Cardinals are 20 and 27. They are five games back. The Cincinnati Reds are 19 and 26, and they are five games back as well. Mike, your thoughts on the NL Central? So they, right? They they've started to bounce back and play a little bit better baseball. Right after I said they were the most disappointing team in baseball this year. And we had that discussion last week. Uh, the Cardinals are starting to wake up. Uh, they they beat the Brewers 18-1 to earlier this week, and they ended up winning that series. Uh, they think they split the first two with the Dodgers. Uh, so they're starting to wake up and, and kind of rise from the ashes a little bit um, in St. Louis. As we talked about before, Pittsburgh has come back to earth, but they've won a few games this week, so they kind of bounced back. They, you know, they started twenty and seven, took it on, on the chin, lost about ten in a row or something crazy, uh, but they really starting to bounce back. Chicago had a tough week against Houston, uh, getting swept by the Astros earlier this week, uh, trying to bounce back this weekend. So, and then a lot of a lot of youth movement in Cincinnati. You're starting to see some of their kids get caught up. They caught up Matt McLean to play, Matt McLean to play shortstop. Uh, this week, uh, there's a couple other guys that are right on the verge of coming up for Cincinnati, so youth movement there. So 
to me, there's something interesting to see with all these teams in this division. Uh, can Milwaukee hit enough? That top end of the rotation looks pretty good. Uh, the the youth in Cincinnati, Pittsburgh's kind of um, you know bounced back and been impressive. Uh, the Cubs and and the Cardinals, you know, the long time rivalries in that division. But all all these teams are a little exciting to see. There's there's not really. I know some of these are under 500 or whatever, but there's some pretty special arms with the Reds. So uh, this is not really uh, a division of also Rands. I think only one team is going to come out of this division, like for playoff purposes. But uh, there's at least something exciting for each of these fan bases to sort of hold on to right now. Couldn't the Pirates remain atop the division? That is the question. Uh, I think the Brewers may end up rounding this thing out. I'm just, like, scratching my head on where the Cardinals are at this point in time. And the Reds, I still feel like they need to build the organization. I don't think they have it in their tank to start to eclipse some of these teams. But um, it is interesting to see how close of a race this is for where the Reds are. They're only five games back. They are in a situation where they can catch up. Okay. So going into Mike's wheelhouse, we are in the NL East. The NL East, and boy, this dude is so comfortable. The Atlanta Braves are 28-17, leading the division. The Miami Marlins, I love to just cry looking at this. They're 24-22. They're second place and four and a half back. They are in front of the New York Mets. The Mets are sitting square, 523-23, five and a half back. The Philadelphia Phillies are 21-24, as I mentioned earlier about the Philadelphia area. They are seven games back. And rounding out the bottom of the division is the Washington Nationals sitting at 19-27. They are nine and a half back. Uh, Mike, your thoughts on the way your boys are having a commanding lead across the uh, National League East and uh, the names and mentions of the teams is also in the division. You know, the the Braves' runner, Acuna, has really caught fire. Uh, his, his streak got broken this weekend, but he had four straight games with, uh, with home runs. And something like his first 70 at-bats, he scored almost 45, 50 runs. He's already got 12, 13 steals. So, uh, he's getting on base at an alarming clip, about 430, 440 on base percentage. So he's really making the engine go there. Uh, Riley's starting to show some uh, signs of breaking out of it. Uh, and Marcelo Zuna is finally on the upswing. He had a really, really good week this week as well. And Orlando Arcia, the guy that nobody thought would win the shortstop job, has done a nice job there. So offensively, uh, I think they're in good shape, and that's not even mentioning what Sean – Murphy and Matt Olson and Ozzy Albies bring to that team, um, but on the on the pitching side, they they have some depth and some of these youngsters have to grow up. Schuster is pitching Game Three of that Mariners series today. They split the first two. Uh, he looked, he won the job in spring training, but didn't look great. Came back up and pitched a little bit better earlier this week in Texas, though they didn't uh, win the game. He did pitch. Uh, somewhat better in that Rangers game. But, you know, they're calling up the youngsters, Schuster and Dylan Dodds having to pitch some because Kyle Wright's having some shoulder injuries. Uh, Max Fried has been the ace of that rotation for the last few years. Uh, is out until July. And they've kind of sacrificed in each of these last couple of series. They've had at least one bullpen game, uh, you know, with guys like Jesse Chavez coming out and making one trip through the order and then, you know, coming back with guys further back in their bullpen just to try to make it happen and cover innings. So 
This team has some organizational depth that's really being challenged with Wright and Freed and then Ian Anderson going under the knife. Uh, Michael Soroka is trying to work his way back after being out for the better part of three years. Uh, but they're really taking their time with him until he they feel like he's really ready because they don't want to have him go up and down between majors and AAA like a yo-yo. They would like to be able to bring him up and keep him. So, uh, you know, they're trying to round him back into shape. But once again, uh, just like I said about the Dodgers, the starting rotation depth is going to be tested uh, with this organization uh, covering the back end. Bryce Elder has pitched really well for them. Uh, Spencer Strider is doing Spencer Strider things, striking out the world. And old Uncle Charlie Morton is uh, is holding it down in that rotation as well. Good thing that those three guys are at least able to hold hold things down. The Miami Marlins is crazy, man. There's something like I, I read this number the other day. There's something like 16 and two right now in one run games, which is why they're sitting where they are uh, because their run differential is not great. But they have, as we've talked about multiple times, the best bat to ball hitter in the game, uh, playing second base for them most of the time. Uh, the Mets, you got Verlander and Scherzer starting both ends of that double hitter today against uh, Cleveland. So we'll see Verlander's kind of been on and off since he's gotten. Back into that rotation, Scherzer's still trying to get his strength up. So the Mets need these guys to anchor down that rotation. They're getting some of their other guys back, uh, Carlos Carrasco and and other guys. So uh, they feel like they're primed to make a run. We'll see. Uh, Philly, same thing. Bryce Harper's back. Um, Can they, you know, get high to make a run as well? You know, I think the Phillies play four with Atlanta next weekend. So that would be good, you know, good measuring stick for them to try to get back into things. And then the Nationals, worst team in this division, but still got a lot of youth and a lot of kids getting some valuable experience. You know, after all the trades they made the last couple years, Scherzer and Turner and Juan Soto and all this, all those young guys they got back, they've kind of brought them up and they're giving them a chance to kind of get on the job train to see if they can, uh, you know, hold it down and do enough to, to solidify themselves as major league guys. And, this is a, a learning experience for them, and, you know, they're just going to kind of see what havoc they can cause. But uh, I feel like it, it's time to agree that the Marlins are going to be heard from at least for a while longer in this division this year. And, you know, four games, not a huge lead this time of year, so we'll see. I mean, I think it's still everybody's division, and it's up for grabs. No, right now you guys ought to come in the lead at this point in time. I think you guys are comfortable where you are. I'm I'm just well I don't feel the Marlins are gonna catch you guys, but they do make it interesting. I wanna see how they do fare out and try to make this interesting. But I feel like Atlanta strongly has a division that's always been a division as far as I can remember when Bobby Johnson was there and controlling the NL East. I feel like it's back to these ways until somebody uh, you know, Dismantles the king, or or take, brings back the head of the king. I don't I don't think they're going to stop the Braves at this point in time. There's too many names that you mentioned for them to be slowed down by the teams that are there. And um, this for me being in this area, it's like when do the Mets figure this out? With the names that they do have, there should be enough power for them to get this done. And they're sitting at 500. There's a lot of money that's invested in these players, and they just can't get it done. Um, hopefully, and I mean hopefully, they can get back into this thing and make this interesting, but the, the one of the sayings, I don't know if it's anywhere out there, but in this area, people will say the Mets are going to mess, like how the Knicks are going to Knicks, so on and so forth. So 
the orange and blue skies is what it is out here. We'll see if this can continue or if they do, because they have at least two bull pitchers uh, in Verlander and Scherzer, but for them to be 23 and 23, I feel like this is an underachievement at this point in time for where they are right now, playing 46 games in within the season. Okay, the AL West is where I'm at now. The Texas Rangers are 28-17, holding down the division lead. The Astros are waking up. They are 26-19, and two games back. The Los Angeles Angels are 24-23, a game above 505 games back. The Seattle Mariners are 22-23. and They are six games back. And the Oakland A's, the worst team in baseball. They are 10-37, 19 games back. And they're saying that the ball is rolling for – the A's to move to Vegas. They are bought property and everything. They are making this happen so fast. They are not playing around. Oakland will be losing this team soon. Mike, your thoughts about the AL West and how this race is going down? Well, at least the A's are no longer in single-digit wins. Uh, They're only one out of that single-digit category. Uh, But, you know, I'm going to start with them regardless of whether they go to Vegas or what happens, ownership has to make a commitment to win with this team. I feel like they do have some young guys to build around. Uh, Britt Rooker, who was drafted by the Twins, Shay Langoliers, uh, the catcher they got from the Brave system. Um, and, the, you know, they got, a, they got a couple of guys on this team. Uh, you know, some people really feel like J.J. Bleday, who was a very high draft pick by the Marlins uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, can be part of that core as well. So at the end of the day, you just got to try to assemble whatever talent you can uh, to eventually try to put together a roster that these can try to pretend to compete uh, at some point. Uh, the rest of the teams in this division, Seattle's a team everybody thought was on the rise and ready to push for a playoff spot, and they still might. They still could get hot. But, uh, you know, Julio Rodriguez is definitely kind of going through a sophomore slump right now. But that young pitcher, Bryce Miller, they just brought up. They got a lot of good young arms, man, with Bryce Miller, Logan Gilbert, George Kirby, who's pitching today, uh, to go along with Louis Castillo in that rotation. Uh, so they got some arms. They got the pieces. We'll see. Uh, you just called it, man. The, the Astros are waking up, and they just got Jose Altuve back on Friday night. Uh, so that's big for them to have him kind of you know, back at the top of that lineup because he's kind of the igniter. Uh, for that offensive attack. So having Altuve back is big for them. And then we'll see. Uh, they they also got McCormick back recently as well, who was playing really well uh, before he went down earlier this year. So uh, we'll see what happens with Houston. Once again, their depth uh, and their pitching rotation is being tested as well because they've had some injuries. But young Hunter Brown looks to settle in. Simon Valdez is, is doing what he normally does as well. So, uh, they they say that Lance McCullers could be back uh, sometime early to mid-June, so we'll see. Uh, you know, that would be key for them. And then the Rangers, man, that's a tough, tough offense. Uh, you got a veteran leader in that clubhouse now, and they just got Corey Seager back as well, who may be, um, who may be their best hitter. But a guy that doesn't really get a ton of credit on that Rangers team, and he's the top a lot, uh, pretty high in a lot of these statistical categories. But Adolis Garcia is having a really good year. There's a lot of swing and miss in this game, but uh, he seemed to cut down some of these strikeouts. 
uh, lots of home runs, good defense in right field, RBIs. Like Adolis Garcia is a is a player that if you haven't really got a chance to look at much. Uh, he he's worth watching. He's talented, and Jonah Heim behind the plate as well. And you know, keep in mind the Rangers are doing a lot of this without Jacob Degrom, right? So he's been out. The young kid Dane Dunham, who they got from the White Sox a couple of years ago, is kind of settling in and at least holding that rotation spot down for the time being. So we'll see if he can continue to do so. But uh, the the Rangers are going to be heard from, man. That's a good team. All the baseball is running through the state of Texas at this point in time. I'm hold, I'm wondering if the Rangers can hold on and keep the Astros at bay, especially like you just mentioned, Altuve is back. Um, and hopefully they can string it together because Dusty Baker is a, a manager I respect. Hopefully he can put it together and try to defend this uh, championship as best as he can. But we will see. Um, the one thing that I'm watching closely at this point in time is the team that I support and love is the Twins, and they're actually in a rubber match game up against the Angels, and the Angels are actually playing decent at this point in time. They rested Mike Trout the first game. He played last night as well. So I think they're doing a good job of trying to keep this guy on the field as best as they can before something happens to him, and I hope not. As much as I'm not an Angel fan so much as you know I can, but I'm a big Mike Trout fan, and I'm a big uh, Otani fan too, but Trout is, is one of the guys you love to see play ball like that. And um, to see him out there for him, it, it at least helps him compete, you know, on a, a game-by-game basis. Okay, speaking of which, the AL Central, the Twins are sitting atop the division, sitting at 25 and 21. Uh, the Detroit Tigers are in second place. They are 20 and 23, three and a half back. The Guardians are 20 and 24. They are four games back. The Chicago White Sox are 18 to 29. They are seven and a half back. And rounding out the bottom of the division, the Kansas City Royals are 14 to 33, 11 and a half back. Across the board, the AL Central is the worst division in baseball at this point in time because the Twins are the only team above 500. Uh, the Tigers are starting to get better. However, their last 10, they are five and five out of the last 10. Um, the Guardians are having a surprise start to the season with their four and six out of their last ten at that. And I, I thought the White Sox would have been better, even though they lost a Brayu, a big piece to the puzzle. But for them to be eleven games under five hundred at this point in time is a puzzling situation. But for me personally, it's like I love that the Twins are actually having the success that they are having. But this isn't a, a lead that I should be happy about. This should be a bigger lead, uh, the way that the rest of the other teams are playing. But nevertheless, they do have the lead, and a beggar can't be a chooser at this point in time. Your thoughts about the teams and players across the board in the AL Central, Mike? Uh, Twins, interesting. I mean, they just continue to, you know, steady plug at it and, and, and do pretty well. They just Jorge Polanco just went down, so they brought Edward Jillian back up uh, to help fill in some at second base. Uh, but you know, listen, this, they're clearly the best team in the division right now. They get to face uh, Shohei Otani on the mound today, too. So that would be uh, interesting to see, you know, how that series shakes out. I feel like that the only team at the end of the day that can really push the Twins in this division are the Guardians, but they got to get things back right. It looks like Tristan McKenzie may be a little bit ahead of schedule in getting back. Uh, Shane Bieber is matching up with Berlander tonight. They that game got canceled yesterday, so uh, Mets and Guardians are playing two today. White Sox they got to get Eloy Jimenez back, but this team is just uh, 
you know, they're struggling some. Um, Michael Kopech is kind of up and down as far as trying to give him depth in that rotation. Uh, but Detroit, you know, they, they these kids are growing up. Uh, I'm impressed with what I've seen out of uh, Rodriguez. So he got tagged a little bit last time out, but he's been really good. Uh, Alex Fido, the kid from Florida, who was Brady Singer's teammate, the, the kid in Kansas City. Um, he's pitched pretty well the last couple of times out. So uh, watching these uh, these young Tigers, the, the question I think going into the year was, uh, with the youth movements in both cities, which team is further along, uh, Detroit or Kansas City? And it looks like the answer right now is resoundingly uh, the Tigers. But, you know, a lot of, lot of season left. But I feel like the Twins have put themselves in a position to, you know, they, to try to take a stronghold on this division. Uh, at the end of the day, I think the only team that's going to push them is the Guardians. And like you said, right now, uh, it would say worst division in baseball, but, you know, one wild, one team coming out of this division for the playoffs. So you got to win this division. It's funny you see Detroit and Kansas City, and that's how the NFL season starts. But I'm not even going to get into that because that'll ruffle a whole bunch of feathers in my end. Um, the crazy thing about the Twins is not only Polanco's on the IL, also have Nick Gordon. Nick Gordon is out for a while with a fracture uh, that he suffered. And the crazy part about Nick Gordon, he was struggling all season long. And I want to say before the injury, the last week or so, before he got injured, he started waking up and was going on a tear, hitting the ball well getting on base and, and hitting home runs. It was That was the best part because he started hitting home runs and then he gets injured. It's like watching his team get set back after set back from we started the season out with Kyle Farmer taking a, a, a baseball to the face and cracking all type of teeth and having his face get restructured and now Farmer's hitting the ball good. Um, now that he's back, now Polanco's down and having to fight back and watch Kyle Garlick come back from being called back up. Every, everything with this Twins team is interesting, but the one question that I have is Rocco Baldelli. I I really feel like he's overmanaging instead of letting these guys go out there and play the full natural game. If they were in trouble, then replace him. He's trying to replace people when there's nothing wrong. And it, I really feel that slogan where it says, if it's not broke, don't fix it. And he's trying to fix something that's actually working well and it'll end up costing the team at the end of the game. Rocco Baldelli, chill. Let the product work. And I... <laughs> They're letting go of games because he's making a questionable move at the wrong time and putting the wrong pitchers in in the middle of the bullpen and will end up losing the game because these pitchers aren't strong. Like Griffin Jacks is not a good pitcher, and he continues to put him in, and he gets rocked when they put him in. And Moran, Moran has been, you know, getting by by the skin of his teeth. But, boy, these pitch, some of these batters catch him too. So this is something that I watch closely and watching these guys give up games because of the way that he'll put these guys in. One inning after one inning, he won't even let a hot pitcher that'll have a, uh, you know, a, a one, two, three inning. He won't even let him work the second inning. He'll pull him right out. It's like, well, if this guy's hot, let him go. You and you're wasting him if that's the case. If he ain't gonna be able to pitch the following day, if if this is one of your setup guys, so the Twins could be doing much better. He's not giving them any time to like figure this thing out. But the good thing is they're sitting at the top of the division, and I'm at a big melee situation with this Twins team because. I'm a Buxton fan, but lo and behold, I am a huge Joseph Gallo fan. If you have not been seeing the way that this guy has been hitting the ball, he is smashing stuff. He hit a home run last night too as well. Joey Gallo, I'm a fan. I might get your jersey. 
I might get your jersey. I'm happy, and they better not let this guy walk. As much as he went through from with the Yankees and the Dodgers, for him to come here and actually let his hair down and play ball, Gallo, I'm a fan. I love what you're doing. So me, for me going to the worst division in baseball, I have to go to the best division in baseball, which is the American League East. And, of course, the best team in baseball is amongst it. The Tampa Bay Rays are sitting at 34-13. and 13. The Baltimore Orioles are in second place. They are 30-16 and 16 at this point in time, three and a half back. The New York Yankees are slowly waking up. They are 28-20, and 20, and it is the month of May going into June. This is when the Yankees actually – excuse me, start to get hot. The Boston Red Sox are 26-20, and 20, right behind them, seven and a half back, and around at the bottom of the division, they have slowly fell, being the Toronto Blue Jays, 25-21. Every team across the board is above 500. It's an interesting race across the board, but nevertheless, the Rays are still having a commanding lead. Well, not even really a commanding lead, but a comfortable lead being up three and a half in front of the Orioles. An incredible story at this point in time is the Orioles are in second place ahead of the Yankees, but the Yankees are now getting their engine where they needed to be and uh, in the rear view of these, a lot of these teams. Uh, Mike, your thoughts on the AL East, the best division, teams and players as well? Well, you know, Aaron Judge, since he's come back from the IL, he's hitting like 378 or something. So, you know, he's really bringing that back, 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 back to the middle of that lineup and helping this team score a lot of runs. So um, I feel like they're going to be there. Uh, Glaber Torres is having a decent season so far. Uh, but the, once again, just like with a lot of teams, the question with the Yankees is going to be the back end of that rotation. Can they ever get Carlos Rodon back uh, to pitch? And, you know, Severino and a couple of guys like that, can these guys uh, come back and contribute in that rotation? Um but, you know, with, with as fast as a start as Tampa got off to, definitely coming back to the pack, you know, losing two key cogs in their starting rotation and Drew Rasmussen and Jeffrey Springs may end up uh, kind of biting them at the end. I don't know if this lineup can get it done on a daily basis uh, for the entirety of an entire season. We'll see. Uh, but they got some guys that are – that are fun to watch. Wander Franco, Harold Ramirez, Randy Rosarena, uh, some of those guys in that in that lineup. They brought the kid Taj Bradley up a couple times to pitch. So, uh, you know, Tampa is at least once again, kind of like I said about the Dodgers and the Braves trying to figure it out some of their rotation questions. At least they're figuring it out from the from the leaders pole. I mean, you know, from the lead spot right now. Uh, Baltimore though is a fun story. This team. This team can hit. They take a lot of good quality at bats. Anthony Santander may be one of the best sluggers in the game that a lot of people don't know. Allie Rudgman is the truth behind the play. Gunnar Henderson is starting to kind of uh, settle in a little bit at third base. You know, they got a speedy shortstop in Jorge Mateo. And Cedric Mullins is kind of, uh, you know, the leadoff guy who's, you know, giving him some punch in the outfield. So just looking around that Orioles team. Uh, they take good at bats. They got a lot of uh, quality young hitters, and you know this. Unlike a lot of uh, past Baltimore teams, when they would try to go free agent route and whatever else, this Baltimore thing feels like it has some staying power, right? They kind of showed up last year and almost kicked in the playoff door, 
I thought they were one year away, and they might still be by the time the season's over. But, you know, Baltimore was bad for several years. They made some really good moves in the draft, and this is, you know, they have rebuilt this the right way through their system. So this looks like it has some staying power, and Baltimore has a chance to be relevant in the American League East for a long period of time. As far as Toronto goes, the offense is good. Uh, you know, Vlad's not the MVP. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., solid hitter. He's not the MVP upper, like, one of the best in the league that a lot of people thought he might be. Uh, George Springer's bat starting to wake up. Uh, Whit Merrifield's done a nice job for them as a veteran presence at second base and kind of covering some of the corner outfield spots. And Matt Chapman's cooled off, but he's still been very solid at third base. Uh, they have got to have, I said this last week, Alec Manoa has to pitch like an ace. He pitched a little bit better yesterday, uh, but with with Toronto, the question is just can they pitch enough? You know, you got Manoa in that rotation. You got uh, Kikuchi, who's been there. Can Hinjin Ryu come back? Uh, but looking around that rotation, Chris Bassett, uh, Jose Barrios, uh, can those guys pitch enough to give these guys a chance? And then Jordan Romano in the back of that bullpen has been kind of hit or miss. He blew a save uh, the other day. So he's kind of been hit or miss for them. Uh, But they do have some good arms in that bullpen. Swanson's been really good for them, Eric Swanson. So uh, Toronto, the the biggest question, once again, is just can they pitch? Because I believe you put them up with the Rangers as two of the most dangerous offenses top to bottom in in the American League. Okay, we will see how they can get back into this thing. I know the end of this week, the Toronto Blue Jays bumped into the Twins. I was trying to get out there, but some unfortunate situations happened out here, so I cannot go. But I, I really wanted to go to Target Field for my first time. I'm really mad about that. But hopefully they're successful. I hope they don't wake up against the Twins because the Twins pitching has been up and down. The starters have been okay, but now they're starting to catch up to Sonny Gray. And Joe Ryan as well, as much as I've been talking crap about it, I feel like I put a bullseye on him. So I, I'm going to keep on the hush or trying to expose my boys out here. But nevertheless, do what you guys need to do, and let's seal the deal. We go into a series up against the Giants coming up soon. Um, Joey Gallo, I love you. <laughs> I hope they keep you. We we got this one-year deal. They better sign him long-term. <laughs> sign him long-term. Okay, so I've done this long enough. I've been dodging enough of this stuff, and it's been one pot, like I told you. I got a bouillon sitting in that water. I got the old base stirring. And, of course, Mike leaked out some of the secret seasons, so you guys know the, the packets that I'm working with. They call them little orange packets of magic. That's what they call them. Okay. This has gone on far too long. The NBA conference finals. I was going to really say playoffs, but it is the playoffs. Postseason, however you want to look at it. But it's the conference finals across the board on both sides of the spectrum. However you want to handle the situation, I will save the best for last. First and foremost, we have the – how do I – I don't even know what team to mention first. The Boston Celtics were the team that had the edge for home court advantage to start the series. They are now facing an 0-2 deficit going into South Beach as of today. The Miami Heat could put up a commanding 3-0 lead on the Celtics if the Celtics cannot go into paradise and pull off a win. 
This is a very distracting, disturbing situation for the Celtics because they had to do this stuff last year against the Miami Heat, where the Miami Heat was making it interesting, pulling off a game here or there in Boston and making Boston have to go on the road and steal one. Boston has been making this a thing, doing this with Philadelphia, and now having to do this again, again with the Miami Heat, having to go in this building and win a game, do or die. Um, Jimmy Butler has always been the guy that's leading the ship, but now there are other players that are standing true to form. Caleb Martin has been a monster for them. Bam Adebayo has grown into a grown man going out there doing work. And Kyle Lowry's role has improved, even though they call him the old man, but he's in there doing the knick-knack things that they need him to come into this game to do. The Miami Heat are no longer playing with house money. I feel like they have the keys to the house at this point in time, and I think Boston may have gotten moved out. Um, this may feel like the movie Money Pit, if anybody's ever saw it. Please watch it. This was something one of my old dear friends have referred to me when we were younger to watch this movie, but it's funny, and I'm trying to be funny about the situation. But nevertheless, the Boston Celtics are in danger if they can't pull this off today up against the Miami Heat in the state of Florida. Mike, your thoughts on what the Celtics are facing, what they need to do, or if the Heat can take care of business and potentially try to sweep the commanding Eastern Conference champions from last year. You know, misery loves company, so, you know, we're going to get into that in a little bit. But it, it, it does my heart a little good uh, to see the Boston Celtics drop both those games at home and go down 2-0. And, you know, you just hit on it, man. Like, Butler is going to get his – I mean, they call him Jimmy Buckets for a reason, right? But at the end of the day, it's the complimentary pieces uh, that have stepped up for Miami and really, really helped them, you know, kind of get a stranglehold on this series. Uh, I would not be surprised if somehow Boston could find a way to grab one of those in Miami. They're not getting both, and they're not winning uh, – Miami's gonna gonna win this series. I feel like now with this being two zero, I feel like they're in really good shape. And <laughs> we talked about this the other night. It blows my mind that after the crazy game seven that he had a week ago, that in game one of that series, Jason Tatum did not take a single shot in the fourth quarter. You know, he says he looked up to Kobe Bryant. You think that ever been, would have been a fourth quarter that Kobe Bryant didn't take a shot? Like, I, I don't know if – I feel like Boston likes to play with their food uh, instead of just, you know, smashing it. And I think you, uh, you play with Miami a little bit too much. Uh, and I, I think this is, a, this is a deep hole to climb out of. I'm very impressed with Spolstra. I'm very impressed with that Miami Heat franchise and what they've been able to do. You know, keep in mind, this is a team that lost their first playing game to the Hawks, bounced back, won to get in, then dispatched the team with the best record in the East, and took care of the Knicks. And now they're like, okay, y'all want to say it was a fluke we beat? Miami watched us go through the number two seed as well. So uh, what Jimmy Butler – and the cast of characters led by Eric Spolster is doing in Miami is really impressive. Uh, get your popcorn ready for today because um, 
if Boston doesn't figure out a way to get a game today, uh, it, it's uh, it's going to be curtains, and the question is just going to be: is it going to be a sweep or not? Uh, but I, I expect Miami to come out with a lot of energy today and play well, and and play like the team that you know that trying to take a stranglehold on this series. But I just can't say enough about the Miami Heat and their resiliency and what they've been able to do so far in this postseason. One, uh, what year is it? Uh, 2010? 2010, this guy got the job. I mean, Eric Spolstra. And uh, a lot of people were saying, well, the, the team that he put together, the super team that they were able to get, so on and so forth, helped Spolstra bring the championships back and all of the ups and downs that he had to go through, watching Dwayne Wade age and watching Wade leave and so on and so forth. As of now, for him to go through the bubble situation, get that team to the finals, and they lose to the Lakers. Um, and where they are now, last year they got to the Eastern Conference final and was off by a shot. Jimmy missed a three-point shot that could have sent them to the finals, and now they're back at the same scene of the crime up against the same team with a chip on their shoulder. And um, I don't know exact age of where Eric Spolster is, but he better have a lifetime contract with the Heat. I'm talking about grow old and gray with this team, just like they let Popovich do with San Antonio. Spolster is a mainstay in Miami. He's already one of the the Miami sons and a uh, darling down there because, you know, he went from his story as one of the best ever, being a, a video media guy with his team and becoming the head coach and, doing all that he can know and all the X and O's and make, making this thing work. Uh, incredible story for what Spolstra is able to do. And for him to go into the mystique and the legendary garden and actually take it from the Celtics where the Celtics had momentum and take the teeth out of their mouth, I I applaud you, Spolstra. I'm, I'm not even a Heat fan, but i got to give you credit for the job that you've been able to do for all of these years. From 2010 till now, you've been there for 13 years. And and I don't think there's ever gonna if it, it has to go bad like you guys have to be under 500 for a couple of seasons for them to have to remove you and I don't want to see that happen because you've been doing a great job uh, what you've been able to do um, now a person that you mentioned and I love that you mentioned him Mike I love that you did it but Jason Tatum like the guy that they said that he's supposed to be he's him and this is the face of that team no he's not no he's not this guy settles for three point shots and um, would rather do crazy erratic stuff on the floor. And um, that's the one thing. If his shot's falling, he's incredible. If his shot's not falling, he looks terrible, and nobody holds his feet to the fire. Um, now this is spilled into Jalen Brown. Now Jalen Brown's not playing good any longer, but this guy was consistently the, the go-to guy outside of Tatum. They're both not up to quality or up to par at this point in time. The Celtics are in deep water. I think they do face a 3-0 deficit in the middle of Miami. I think their potential is, a bigger situation of them getting swept than the other series. This is how bad it looks for the Celtics at this point in time. They're going to have to go in this building, and of course, um, they're going to play like their hair is on fire. If they see their first couple of baskets hit, they're going to keep trying to make that roll. But Miami, once Miami gets hot and the crowd gets involved, it's like, now what do you guys do? You guys put yourself in a bad situation, not defending home at all, and you really have to go into American Airlines Arena or whatever they call it at this point in time now um, and still both. Like, I don't feel like they can split. They don't have the, the guard to go in there and split. If they split and go back to Boston 3-1, they're going to they, – they, it's all out. They got to win the rest. 
So they have to win in Boston, go to Miami, win that one, and try to pull it out in Game 7. I, that's far too much for the Celtics at this point in time. I don't feel like they have any, like, real strong leader at this point in time. They have names that you know, but not a leader that gets these guys riled up. Um, Marcus Smart, are you really the guy that runs the show? Tatum, are you the face of the organization? Jalen Brown, do you want to stay in Boston or go somewhere else to feel more wanted, I guess, at this point in time? Horford is aging, and the worst part about Horford is this shot has been falling all playoffs and has not fallen at this point in time. Can Rob Williams stay on the floor? Malcolm Brogdon came here and was one of the biggest intricate pieces for this team, being a six-man of the year, and they're falling short across the board. And Derek White, where's the consistency? There's so many questions that the Celtics need to answer at this point in time. And meanwhile, the Heat are sitting atop the mountain waiting for them to come up here to get kicked down, and I really feel like the Celtics have more than just a mountain to climb. There's like water, rain, and you know, mountain lions, everything else on this on this road to success. We'll see if Boston can do this. Boy, I can't wait. But they are facing the potential of getting slapped around. Okay, so like I said, I'm saving the best for last. And Mike talked about my twins. He talked about my twins. You know, he did. He didn't do it purposely. I know he was trying to, like, bridge it a little bit. He talked about my boys, but you're not going to talk about my boys, and I'm not going to get about your boys. Now, here goes the crazy part, because I said there will be fire. This pot has been spilling over something terrible, and I don't want to do this like this, but I got to do it like this. I got to. The Denver Nuggets now have a 3 nothing lead on the Los Angeles Lakers at this point in time. Tour City, I really thought the Lakers would come home and make this interesting, at least still, well, not still, but win game three, defend home, and put a lot of pressure on Denver to be going back to Denver 2-2 tied up and make them have to win game five at home and push us all the way to game seven. Uh-uh. It's a, I think it's 149-0 and how the record goes when the team is facing a 3-0 deficit. No team has ever come back from this. Now, I get it. LeBron James is like the queen piece on the chessboard, can move any way he wants to, right? But this is a stronger situation at this point in time because he is older and it is starting to show, but he's still going to get out there and get you 22 to 26 points a game. He could get you 8 to 10 rebounds. He could get you 8 to 10 assists. Like, LeBron is still going to be able to stack his numbers, but it's not enough to get these guys over the hump. You got AD who's playing incredible at this point in time, and this is what I figured what would happen? I, I thought AD would play well up against Denver because Jokic has difficulty with AD. And Austin Reeves, this dude is going to get one of the biggest contracts that he's ever seen. If he's not being paid right now and the Lakers don't pay him, somebody's going to pay him heavy. This dude has, I don't even know what type of blood is in him. He's not human. Like, it, nothing, nothing bothers him at all. He, he's making every shot possible. It's like he's shooting the ball at a better clip than Curry and Clay Thompson. And um, they're still not able to get it done. It's like you need the other pieces. And I feel like the backcourt of Denver is what's taking care of business up against this Lakers team. And if they can't get LeBron to play stronger consistently, they're out of here. And I think they do place the potential of being swept in L.A. This is a bad situation because not only are they going to get swept in L.A. potentially, but this is LeBron's makeup. LeBron has been swept a couple of times in his career especially later in his career. I understand and get it when he got swept in 2007 against the Spurs. He was younger, and knowing Mike Brown, 
was coming from Popovich's tree and Popovich knew everything he was going to throw. It's like, okay, that's fair. And then 2018, I think this was, when they went up against the uh, the Warriors, KD and them swept them out of the building. I get it because he's going up against the powerhouse. But right now, I feel like the Lakers were playing well throughout this playoff run but ran into a stronger team in Denver, and Denver's not having it any longer. Well, I really felt like the Lakers could pull this off and go to a finals. They are not strong enough. They have to win four straight at this point in time. Uh, Mike, this is your heart, your home. Your thoughts on what's going on in the Valley of L.A.? First of all, don't hold your breath for the Lakers to win four games. Not going to happen. I'll tell you right now, Denver is a better team. Number one in the West for a reason. They haven't shown us in the playoffs. They can get it done, but they are right now. Uh, so, but as far as the Laker piece of it, listen, they got blitzed in game one. It was terrible uh, in the first couple of quarters. And Austin Reed pretty much shot them all the way back in that game. Um, late in the game, you had a, a three-pointer by LeBron and or a three-pointer by Reed. That if it goes down, maybe that game goes from – uh, three to being tied, and who knows what happened. It was crazy that they were even able to make that game competitive, as bad as it looked. You know, I said these numbers a couple of times, but they got out-rebounded 22-6 on the boards, and Joker had 12 rebounds by himself, twice as many as the Lakers team in the first quarter of game one. In game two, the Lakers adjusted. They did everything they needed to do to win that game except for close it out. And you mentioned LeBron. Interestingly enough, LeBron James did not make a three-pointer in this series until two three-pointers at the very end of the third quarter in game three. And maybe altitude got to them, whatever, I'm not real sure. But what I can tell you is the Lakers did everything in game two except for close it out. And then the fourth quarter, Murray got hot. And LeBron kept throwing up threes and trying to build them and, and land enough bricks for them to build a couple of extra sky boxes or whatever they might want to put in that arena to upgrade uh, to celebrate their first ever finals appearance because Denver's closer to going to the finals than they ever have in the 47 some odd years of that franchise's history. So just looking around uh, at what I saw there, I thought the Lakers. Besides Austin Reeves and a couple guys hitting threes, I thought the Lakers made a lot of their bones inside. And late in that fourth quarter, they stopped doing that, settling for three-point shots. And every time LeBron would miss, Murray would hit. LeBron would miss, Murray would hit. On the other end, Jamal Murray has played big, big, big um, in this series. And then game three, like, it was one of those – Denver jumped up. Lakers came back. It was a one-point game going to the fourth. Uh, But, you know, here's the interesting thing. Joker did not have a great game last night compared to what he's been doing in the playoffs. It was a mediocre game for Joker, and they still couldn't find a way to pull it out. Denver hit more shots. And, you know, once again, there were stretches of time where I feel like the Lakers really settled. Uh, for outside shots. When you bring Joker back in, beginning of the fourth quarter, he's got four fouls. Why don't you go right at him and try to drive the ball right at him? 
see if you can get him in foul trouble, get him out of the game, and see if you can throw Denver off their game. But I feel like even if you had been able to do that, uh, listen, right now Jamal Murray is not playing. Uh, he is He's shooting the ball well. And the other thing is, is you're getting stats from other guys. Bruce Brown with 15. Michael Porter Jr. has hit some shots, some big shots for them. Uh, the complimentary pieces uh, for this Denver team are doing their job as well. Uh, and listen, Denver's just a better basketball team. You know, uh, breaking news, Brian Hughes was on here with us last week and said, Denver, we coming, whatever else. And I kind of said after that, like, I didn't quite go Lee Corso on him, but I kind of said, yo, not so fast. Like, I think that it should be interesting. Uh, you know, and I, and I said it, TP, and I know you're about to push back on me on this, but in a lot of ways, Lakers are playing with house money. This is a team that we didn't know would make the playoffs for a long time. They had to win the play-in to get the seven seed. Uh, things set up right for them because of the turmoil in Memphis. They had enough size to really take it to Golden State. Uh, they don't have really that size advantage on Denver, and Denver's got enough role players to really make it difficult on them. Um, and so, you know, I think they just they've run up against a buzzsaw in the Denver Nuggets, man. I didn't expect them to be swept. I thought this would at least be two-one uh, by now. It really, honestly, the Lakers had every chance to get Game Two in Denver. And I'll be honest with you, CP, when they did not close out Game Two, and Denver came back and won the game. I really felt some kind of way, like the air kind of came out of the cells for this series. I was expecting the Lakers to hopefully win last night, uh, but uh, last night might be the widest spread of the three scores in this series, right? Like, uh, But I really felt some kind of way after the Lakers weren't able to close out game two. That really felt momentous for me, for Denver to be able to come back and grab that game. And, you know, you and I said it uh, Wednesday night, I guess it was. We said that uh, game two was going to be big for the Denver Nuggets, and it was, and they pulled it out. And now they have a a definite stranglehold on this series. Uh, To me right now, the question is, can the Lakers get one and at least force this series back to the Rocky Mountains? And then, you know, all bets are off. Denver's hard to handle at home. But is is Denver going to be gentlemanly about this? <laughs> or are they just gonna go ahead and grab the broom <laughs> and sweep the floor up <laughs> in the Crypto.com arena? We we will see what happens. And you know, I, I'm at, at the end of the day, man. And you, I just got to tip my hat to the Denver Nuggets. Say they were a better team, and I I would have uh, liked to have seen at times the Lakers continue to push push inside and not settle for not settle for some threes in key moments of the game when the shots weren't falling. But it is what it is, man. They've taken their lumps. They've taken on the chin. And now they got a big hole to climb out of, and I don't think they're going to do it before somebody slaps that manhole cover on there and, and snuffs out their season. Gentlemanly enough. Boy, is he making up words. This is how bad this thing is getting. Um, I don't know if they're going to be a gentleman about this. I think they can't let the Lakers get off the floor. Like, literally keep them down and keep pulverizing them. Like, this is the only way they can make it happen because I feel like if they let the Lakers get a win, they're going to go into Denver and know that their hair is on fire and go in there and try to steal one in Denver. And Denver is not lost in Denver, so they can't. I don't even think they want to put that type of pressure on themselves and lose their first game there and go back to L.A. And here comes the Lakers and they win game six and fourth of game seven. It's like anything could go. 
the Denver Nuggets have to take care of business. If they want to be a champion, they got to knock out a former champion, especially with the the experiences and things that uh, LeBron is going through. You got to take the teeth out of his mouth. Um, the one thing that you did mention is something that I didn't want to like continue to harp on on LeBron and how a lot of people give him credit, but LeBron, I've, I'm I'm sad and disappointed and every other bad word I could use right now that you really sit up here and settle for threes. You help teams. You help teams do this. LeBron, you're six foot eight, and you were at one point like 270 at one point in your life. I think you're probably like 240, 250 at this point in time. But you're big, you're tall, you're heavy, strong, fast as a deer, and don't use your power? You'd rather sit up here and pull for three? Like, everybody's like, thank the Lord, shoot it. Shoot it. If you hit it, it's like, we live with it. Like, I would love to see that. If if I was playing defense against you and you settled for three and started missing, man, keep doing it. I wouldn't even wave my hand at you. I'll, I'll play defense and make you want to do it. Like, go ahead, go, ah, ah, talk it, and make you pull it. Like, I'm, you're helping them. Like, it's, it's bad. It's, let alone game two. LeBron had four different possessions where he lost the ball or turned the ball over at the end of the game, and then he got mad at the cameraman that was following him to the locker room because it was like this was him right after he made these mistakes happen. And an unfortunate situation is him. And you're the leader of this team. But I love the users when LeBron starts breaking down a movie that I do love called Black Panther, and this is exactly what's happening. The Denver Nuggets are Eric Killbonger. And they run up into the crib, say, hey, auntie, I want to battle for the crown, go to the waterfall, and LeBron gets stabbed in the stomach. And he looked at him all in his face and was like, yeah, pulled the sword out of his stomach and looked at everybody in Wakanda and said, is this your king? The Black Panther, he's supposed to lead y'all to the future. And he's not leading them into the future. And I really feel like this is all about him at this point in time and not that team. They've been riding off of Anthony Davis as much as they were like, oh, we need Anthony Davis to be healthy and uh, how how can he be consistent, so on and so forth. Anthony Davis is going crazy for this team. There are others on this team like Austin Reeves. Austin Reeves is the other guy, and they just can't put it together. LeBron, it's you falling short on them, and I don't even want to continue to put this on, oh, Father Time is here and he's 38 and he's – no, you're here. You're a problem. Like, people, they can't do you. They can't do you. If you find a way to get a screen and get downhill or go to the rim, nobody can stop you doing that. But you rather settle for a jump shot, that's that's tough. And it's hard for a first-year coach and Darvin Ham to, like, you know, implement that into LeBron's head to, like, get that to go downhill. But the, the Nuggets are drawing charges, too, so they make it tough for this Lakers team. I don't think they could let this get to Denver. They They have to close them out now. Unfortunate situation is is that um, I don't think the NBA wanted to see it like this. Everybody gets swept. I think the Lakers have to pull this out game four. They have to. This is where the gentlemanly falls into place, Mike. I really feel like it's too soon before Memorial Day before they start the finals because they they literally like starting the finals in June, like like the first day or two or three in June. We are at uh, the 21st of May, nowhere near June. Um, unless they, like, hold out. Like, if both teams end up sweeping with the Celtics pulling this, uh, you know, bull crap and the Heat end up sweeping them, and if the the Nuggets sweep the Lakers, they're probably going to hold off for at least a week before they try to start that series up unless this, this is the way it goes down. I, I really don't feel like they get the hold of their guns. It's an unfortunate situation. I think that they expected all 40 teams to come out and play, but 
two of these teams are already looking at like Mexico or ready to go fishing, so on and so forth. And um, it's entirely a sad situation, especially with the way that LeBron's career is closing at this point in time. And I don't really want to say close, but he is getting up there. I don't know how long he wants to play till he's 30 years into the league. I know he's waiting for his son to come and wherever his son gets drafted, he's going to go to that team. It's like, do you really want to end up going to, let's just say, I don't even think it's the magic because the magic are loaded at this time. But, um, I'm trying to think of a team at the bottom of the, the NBA. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, if he, and they already got guards there. So like, Bronny's Bronny's not gonna take uh Ivy's spot, you know, like so that's it's yeah. tough. He's like okay, the Pacers. So if do he go to the Pacers? Like LeBron's gonna go to the Pacers, a team that he's been bombing on for this whole time in the Eastern Conference. Like I no, it, it, let that boy do what he gotta do. You close out your career how you need to co- close that out. And um it's 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 a melee in LA at this point in time and hopefully they can get back in the series and make this a thing. But the way Denver's rolling, and something else you just said, Jokic didn't do nothing in game three. And not to say nothing, but he didn't score his 30 or 40 that he's been putting up on everybody, including the Lakers. But everybody else is stepping up across the board. That's what a team's supposed to do. It ain't supposed to just always lead on Jokic, but Jokic's supposed to be there in the possession that count, and it works at the end of the game. But everybody's playing strong. Jamal Murray is taking – and that <clears> – <throat> I think this is the X factor – they don't have a guard that could DM, and I think the one that's bothering him, and Dennis Schroeder, how pesky he could be, I think Murray is taking that personal, and he's bombing on him. Any given time that he gets under his skin, he is making Schroeder pay, and D'Angelo Russell can't D him, Austin Reeves can't D him, Schroeder can't D him, Lonnie Walker can't D him. He's getting 37 easy. He's getting 37 easy. He's taking shots in the paint, pulling up uh, fadeaways. And, oh, this, is, this is electric basketball for the Denver Nuggets. Denver, I apologize. I want to say this right now. I didn't think you guys would beat the Lakers. I thought the Lakers were going to the finals. You guys are going to the finals. I apologize, Denver. I'm sorry. Jokic is the price of admission. He earned every penny of that $269 million contract that they gave him. Uh, this is recent history. Uh, Mike, anything else you'd like? Go ahead. Denver gonna be Denver going to be tough to handle. Uh, down the stretch too, uh, it, you know, Jokic even missing free throws last night, which doesn't really happen, and they still able to win this game uh, by double digits last night. So, uh, you know, Jamal Murray, you know, finally good to see him back healthy. He played some last year, but you know, back for a full season, and it looks like he's really starting to realize some of that potential. Uh, you got to come at the guys on Denver that can't play defense. So you got to come at Michael Porter. You got to you got to make Eric Gordon defend you. And, and if you can get Jokic in foul trouble, you really got to go uh, after them. And I agree with you on LeBron James, man. He is a freight train. Um, like once he gets going, you know, ahead of steam going towards the basket, you can't stop. Can't really stop him. And but to me, I, I'll just say this, man. I've been I've been a Lakers fan 35-plus years. So since the Magic and Kareem and Showtime days, stayed through during during the, you know, Eddie Jones, Nick Van Axel, all those, then to Kobe and Shaq, and then when it was just Kobe. And then once he finally got Gasol and won. And then there were some lean years after that, you know, as Kobe went down and had some bad seasons. Uh, Lakers are one of those polarizing teams that a lot of people love to hate on. It's kind of like the Yankees, kind of like the Cowboys. 
Uh, certain teams that people just, you know, love to kick them when they're down. I understand that. But I'll just say this. To those of you that claim to be Lakers fans and have only claimed to be Lakers fans for the last three or four years because of the arrival of one player, hey, man, listen, serves you right. Stay down and get gone. Peace. That's all I got to say about it. I, I respect that a thousand percent. That's the one thing that bothers me about this era of fans because I don't like how they say they're a LeBron fan, but they follow the Lakers. Now, if LeBron leaves, they're not a Lakers fan. I don't like that either. But there's one thing that you did say that I I know I should have been looking at and speaking on, and I haven't, and I got to give you credit for that. You guys aren't attacking Jokic. Jokic has not seen any foul trouble. You know who's behind him? DeAndre Jordan. He's not even playing. DeAndre Jordan is a cheerleader on the sideline. Like, wouldn't you want to attack him to see DeAndre come on the floor and you guys could breathe? You guys have Jokic leaving the game because he's tired. Like, Jokic get to go over there, get a breather, drink Gatorade, and then come back. Like, you not got him over there like, damn, I got three fouls. I got four fouls. I got five. He, none of that. He's not facing that. Like, he know how to keep his hands to himself to y'all because y'all rather settle up for jump shots. Anthony Davis, fade away. LeBron, fade away threes. Like, is this – Everybody's a three-point shooter. Everybody on the Lakers shoot three. Everybody, everybody. And he had like like I feel, and he had four feel, at the beginning of the fourth quarter yesterday, and they just didn't go right at it. That's what blew my mind. You had four fouls on the guy. They pulled him out for late in the third quarter, brought him back in at the beginning of the fourth, and you did not go at him. You that's the only time in this series he's been in foul trouble. Why you don't attack him and try to get him out of the game? I just I don't understand that. I give you credit for saying that because it's like DeAndre Jordan is there. He's not even playing a minute. He's getting a free ride on this magical carpet, Aladdin and Jasmine, uh, to an NBA final appearance. This is his potential first, I think. This is the first time DeAndre gets to go, and he's not even a piece. This is one of the more high-flying big men I've ever seen, but he doesn't play the defense that you would expect him to do. He doesn't score well, and he can't shoot free throws. So wouldn't you want to have DeAndre out there to get those possessions, to foul him on purpose so he could miss two free throws? Like, you guys aren't even thinking like that. Like, this is incredible. I, I, I'm i puzzled. Um, because you, you guys are in trouble, but Mike did say you guys are playing with house money. You were not supposed to be at this point in time of the season because you guys were a lower seed. At this point in time, but the way that you guys started cruising, you guys put it together, uh, especially the way AD's woken up. And the crazy part is, is Austin Rivers is the guy. I feel like he's the ammunition. And, and how much do they ride Austin Reeves as best as possible? And, and um, Palenka can't let him go. <laughs> no matter what, he is better. I'm saying this here and now, Sports City. He's better than D'Angelo Russell. He's better than Dennis Schroeder. He's better than Lonnie Walker. He is their guy outside of LeBron and Anthony Davis. This guy is a star right now. I don't want to say superstar yet. Give him about two to three years, but he is up there. This dude is hitting every shot. Even when you think he's not going to hit it, he's knocking down these shots with confidence. Um, electric kid out of Arkansas. I got to give him credit. Um, Mike, anything else you'd like to say before we start to get ready to close this thing down? Yeah, the one thing, uh, the last thing I will say, I agree with you 100% on Austin Reeves. And you know, they won the bubble championship in 20 and they blew it up and they thought they could just bring anybody back uh, alongside LeBron and Anthony Davis and win. So for the last three seasons, the 21 and 20, uh, 22 season going into the off season, it, you know, I've been scratching my head. Like, I don't know what we're going to do. They make the Westbrook trade. It doesn't work out. 
I didn't know how they were going to fix this roster. So the one thing I will say, and I'm talking to longtime Lakers fans, uh, those of you on the bandwagon, I'm not even looking in your direction, uh, but I'm talking to longtime Lakers fans. The one thing that I will say is we at least have a little bit better of a foundation or something to try to build off of or figure this roster out. There's at least some better pieces now and some more things to work with than what we've had over the last couple of seasons. So that is my one sort of uh, sunshine behind these dark clouds, so to speak, is at least the roster and, and the pieces are a little bit better set up if you make the right moves than they have been the last couple of off seasons. So uh, that's at least something to hold on to to see what you're going to do moving forward. Hey, this this is tough, and I didn't really feel like I pushed the gun to the Lakers like I really wanted to because it's it's frustrating. And as much as I love basketball, and I'm not gonna lie, I do like LeBron. But when he went at my boy in 2012, I always wanted to get him back. So it's always been like watching him with a close eye, but yet still love the sport so much. It's like you still want to see it be played right. And um, for him to be a three point shooter now, like this is your thing. You want to rub your chest and just pull up and do a step back three. LeBron, stop it. Stop it. Michael Jordan said this in the early 90s. I don't want to start shooting the three because I'll fall in love with it and that'll hurt my game. Look at what it's doing to LeBron at this point in time. And I'm not saying it's hurting his game, but you're actually helping other teams beat you guys. And I don't think it gets better uh, as you get older because you're going to want to rely on that three-point shot now because you are going to be, what, 39 in December. So. We will see. Unfortunate uh, situation, Anthony Davis is playing stronger at this point in time. Uh, I don't know what the Lakers can do to push this, but I feel like Mike is right. This will be a gentleman's situation. I feel like 4-1, they'll go into Denver, and Denver get to celebrate in front of their home crowd. I don't think they celebrate in L.A. <laughs> if they raise that Western Conference trophy in the middle of the crypto situation, I, that I feel like that shatters a lot of situations, and there's a lot of asterisks in front of LeBron James. There's a lot. There's a lot. You can't watch a sweep go down at this point in time. You can't. You got to fight. You can't come off the floor. You, you've been playing a whole bunch of series in your career, all 48 minutes, doing it now. Then you got to do it now. You got can't to. You can't fall asleep now. It's the Weather Conference Finals. Okay. So, Mike, we are at the tail end of the show. I need a plug, close out, promo, anything that you'd like before we get up out of here. Let me know. Man, first of all, shout out, much love to you and respect. Wasn't for you, I wouldn't be here, man. Shout out to the other chefs as well, uh, serious villain, uh, even Chandler, guys that that make the uh, the sports city chefs community what it is. Check out the blog, the website, sportscitychefs.com. Uh, we got shows. We got a front office show coming up Tuesday. Call us cookout on Wednesday. I'm trying to bring you another round table gumbo on Thursday. We had one this past Thursday and had some crazy troll call in. Uh, man, listen, I wish I'd had my finger on the board. I was telling him, drop him, drop him, drop him. It was way too long. Uh, it, it was quite sad. Uh, some of the uh, some of the trash that the, that the strange white man that came in was spewing uh, on round table gumbo on Thursday night. So, once again, as I told you guys back then, those views do not ex- uh, <laughs> are not indicative of those of us uh, in the sports city chef community. Uh, but anyway, it was it was fun. We had a troll pop out from under the bridge, so check us out on Thursday nights as well. But the uh, 
the mothership of them all, the Cars Cookout with me and Thomas. It's always a pleasure and a privilege to be alongside. Sport, uh, don't forget about phiapparel.co. Use the promo code CHEFS at checkout. Get 15% off uh, right there as well. And we're starting to open a few rooms uh, here in the barbershop house on Clubhouse. So come by, uh, check us out. Make sure you tap your notification bell if you follow the house so you can get notified when we do open a space. And then, in the meantime, and in between time, and until next time, bro, laissez-les bon temps rouler. Peace. Yes, check out everything that's going on, unfortunate situation on Thursday, and, uh, and it happens, man. And um, you just got to be aware of, of when they do it and just mute them um, and watch them just fall off. That's the best thing. But it's good that, you know, somebody got something to do. They bored. It, you know, I'm flattered that this happens to us. You know, we, we go through it, man. Uh, one way or another. Um, nevertheless, man, we got to keep our head up, especially the situation that I mentioned. Boston has to keep their head up. The Lakers have to keep their head up. And all of the teams across the board in the ML that are struggling to get out of their own way, keep your head up. And no matter what, how my pops raised me, Oakland, for the time being, keep your head up. I'm I'm sad that this is happening to you guys, but Vegas is not playing around. They are getting their team. They bought, like, 300 acres out there in Vegas, probably somewhere in the middle of the valley where there's a whole bunch of desert. They're going to probably make an enclosed stadium. I can't wait to see how this is going to possibly happen, God willing, in the next two, three years. Just to see what they did with the Allegiant Stadium for the Raiders, I could just imagine what their baseball field is going to look like in Vegas. Because Vegas is getting built up so crazily at this point in time. But sports rolls on. This is the common ground for all of us. There's a lot of food for thought. Hopefully these poopy people can still do these dishes. On that note, tell a friend to tell a friend that it's the chefs again. And if they don't know, now they know. Sports City Chefs is in the room, cooking up hot topics to put up on your spoon. They well in tune, blown like a flower in June. Superman vs. MF Doom, the clouds loom. So tell a friend, it's the Sports City Chefs again. Pay attention, tune in, we on the set again. Uh-huh.